0: Chapter 21 of The Four Feathers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Lewis. The Four Feathers by A.E.W. Mason. Chapter 21 Ethne Makes Another Slip mrs adair speculated with some uneasiness upon the consequences of the disclosures which she had made to durrance she was in doubt as to the course which he would take it seemed possible that he might frankly tell ethne of the mistake which he had made he might admit that he had discovered the unreality of her affection for him and the reality of her love for feathersham and if he made that admission however carefully he tried to conceal her share in his discovery he would hardly succeed she would have to face ethne and she dreaded the moment when her companion's frank eyes would rest quietly upon hers and her lips demand an explanation it was consequently a relief to her at first that no outward change was visible in the relations of ethne and Durrance, they met and spoke as though that day on which willoughby had landed at the garden and the evening when ethne had played the mousseline overture upon the violin had been blotted from their experience miss adair was relieved at first but when the sense of personal danger passed from her AND SHE SAW THAT HER INTERFERENCE HAD BEEN APPARENTLY WITHOUT EFFECT, SHE BEGAN TO BE PUZZLED. A LITTLE WHILE, AND SHE WAS BOTH ANGRY AND DISAPPOINTED. Durrance INDEED, QUICKLY MADE UP HIS MIND. Ethne WISHED HIM NOT TO KNOW. IT WAS SOME CONSOLATION TO HER, IN HER DISTRESS, TO BELIEVE THAT SHE HAD BROUGHT HAPPINESS TO THIS ONE MAN WHOSE FRIEND SHE GENUINELY WAS and of that consolation durrance was aware he saw no reason to destroy it for the present he must know certainly whether a misunderstanding or an irreparable breach separated ethne from feathersham before he took the steps he had in mind he must have sure knowledge too of harry feathersham's fate therefore he pretended to know nothing he abandoned even his habit of attention and scrutiny, since for these there was no longer any need. He forced himself to a display of contentment, he made light of his misfortune and professed to find in Ethne's company more than its compensation. You see, he said to her, one can get used to blindness and take it as a natural thing, but one does not get used to you, Ethne each time one meets you one discovers something new and fresh to delight one. Besides, there's always the possibility of a cure. He had his reward, for Ethne understood that he had laid aside his suspicions, and she was able to set off his indefatigable cheerfulness against her own misery. And her misery was great if for one day she had recaptured the likeness of heart which had been hers before the three white feathers came to ramelton she had now recaptured something of the grief which followed upon their coming a difference there was of course her pride was restored and she had a faint hope born of durrance's words that harry after all might perhaps be rescued but she knew again the long and sleepless nights and the dull hot misery of the head as she waited for the gray of the morning for she could no longer pretend to herself that she looked upon harry feathersham as a friend who was dead he was living and in what straits she dreaded to think and yet thirsted to know at rare times indeed her impatience got the better of her will "'I suppose that escape is possible from Omdurman,' she said one day, constraining her voice to an accent of indifference. "'Possible? Yes, I think so,' Durrance answered cheerfully. "'Of course it is difficult and would in any case take time. Attempts, for instance, have been made to get Trench out and others, but the attempts have not yet succeeded. The difficulty is the go-between.' ethne looked quickly at durrance the go-between she asked and then she said i think i begin to understand and pulled herself up abruptly you mean the arab who can come and go between abdurman and the egyptian frontier yes he is usually some dervish peddler or merchant trading with the tribes of the sudan who slips into wadi halfa or Aswan or suakin and undertakes the work of course his risk is great he would have short shrift in amdurman if his business were detected so it is not to be wondered at that he shrinks the danger at the last moment as often as not too he is a rogue you make your arrangements with him in egypt and hand him over the necessary money IN SIX MONTHS OR A YEAR, HE COMES BACK ALONE WITH A STORY OF EXCUSES. IT WAS SUMMER AND THE SEASON UNFAVORABLE FOR AN ESCAPE, OR THE PRISONERS WERE MORE STRICTLY GUARDED, OR HE HIMSELF WAS SUSPECTED, AND HE NEEDS MORE MONEY. HIS TALE MAY BE TRUE, AND YOU GIVE HIM MORE MONEY, AND HE COMES BACK AGAIN, AND AGAIN, HE COMES BACK ALONE. Ethne NODDED HER HEAD. EXACTLY durrance had unconsciously explained to her a point which till now she had not understood she was quite sure that harry feathersham aimed in some way at bringing help to colonel trench but in what way his own capture was to serve that aim she could not determine now she understood he was to be his own go-between and her hopes drew strength from this piece of new knowledge for it was likely that he had laid his plans with care he would be very anxious that the second feather should come back to her and if he could fetch Trent safely out of Amdurman he would not himself remain behind ethne was silent for a little while they were sitting on a terrace and the sunset was red upon the water of the creek life would not be easy i suppose in the prison of om durman she said and again she forced herself to indifference easy exclaimed durrance no it would not be easy a hovel crowded with arabs without lighter air and the roof perhaps two feet above your head into which you were locked up from sundown to morning very likely the prisoners would have to stand all night in that foul den so closely packed would they be imagine it even here in england on an evening like this think what it would be like on an august night in the sudan especially if you had memories say of a place like this to make the torture worse Ethne looked out across that cool garden at this very moment, Harry Feathersham might be struggling for breath in that dark and noisome hovel, dry of throat and fevered with the heat, with a vision before his eyes of the grass slopes of Rambleton, and with the music of the linen river liquid in his ears. One would pray for death, said Ethne slowly, unless she was on the point of adding, unless one went there deliberately with a fixed thing to do but she cut the sentence short durrance carried it on unless there was a chance of escape he said and there is a chance if feathersham is in omdurman he was afraid that he had allowed himself to say too much about the horrors of the prison in omdurman and he added of course what i have described to you is mere hearsay and not to be trusted we have no knowledge prisoners may not have such bad times as we think and thereupon he let the subject drop nor did ethne mention it again it occurred to her at times to wonder in what way Durrance had understood her abrupt disappearance from the drawing-room on the night when he had told her of his meeting with harry feversham but he never referred to it himself and she thought it wise to imitate his example the noticeable change in his manner the absence of that caution which had so distressed her allayed her fears. It seemed that he had found for himself some perfectly simple and natural explanation. At times, too, she asked herself why Durant's had told her of that meeting in Wadi Halfa, and of Feversham's subsequent departure to the south. But for that she found an explanation, a strange explanation, perhaps, but it was simple enough and satisfactory to her she believed that the news was a message of which durrance was only the instrument it was meant for her ears and for her comprehension alone and durrance was bound to convey it to her by the will of a power above him his real reason she had not stayed to hear during the month of september then they had kept up the pretense every morning when durrance was in devonshire he would have come across the field to ethne at the pool and mrs adair watching them as they talked and laughed without a shadow of embarrassment or estrangement grew more angry and found it more difficult to hold her peace and to let the pretence go on it was a month of strain and tension to all three and not one of them but experienced a great relief when durrance visited his oculist in london and those visits increased in number and lengthened in duration, and Ethne was grateful for them. She could throw off the mask for a little while. She had an opportunity to be tired. She had solitude, wherein to gain strength to resume her high spirits upon Durrance's return. There came hours when despair seized hold of her. Shall I be able to keep up the pretense when we are married, when we are always together? She asked herself. But she thrust the question back unanswered she dared not look forward lest even now her strength should fail her after the third visit durant said to her do you remember that i once mentioned a famous oculist at wiesbaden it seems advisable that i should go to him you are recommended to go yes and to go alone ethne looked up at him with a shrewd quick glance you think that i should be dull at wiesbaden she said there is no fear of that i can rat out some relative to go with me no it's on my own account answered durrance i shall perhaps have to go into a home it's better to be quiet and to see no one for a time you are sure ethne asked it would hurt me if i thought you proposed this plan because you felt i would be happier at glenella no that is not the reason Durrance answered and he answered quite truthfully he felt it necessary for both of them that they should separate he no less than ethne suffered under the tyranny of perpetual stimulation it was only because he knew how much store she set upon carrying out her resolve that two lives should not be spoilt because of her that he was able to hinder himself from crying out that he knew the truth i am returning to london next week he added and when i come back i shall be in a position to tell you whether i am to go to wiesbaden or not durrance had reason to be glad that he had mentioned his plan before the arrival of calder's telegram from wadi halfa ethne was unable to connect his departure from her with the receipt of any news about feversham the telegram came one afternoon and durrance took it across to the pool in the evening and showed it to Ethne. There were only four words to the telegram. Feversham imprisoned at Omdurman. Durrance, with one of his new instincts of delicacy which had been born in him lately by reason of his sufferings and the habit of thought, had moved away from Ethne's side as soon as he had given it to her, and had joined mrs Adair, who was reading a book in the drawing room he had folded up the telegram besides so that by the time ethne had unfolded it and saw the words she was alone upon the terrace she remembered what durrance had said to her about the prison and her imagination enlarged upon his words the quiet of a september evening was upon the fields a light mist arose from the creek and crept over the garden bank across the lawn Already the prison doors were shut in that hot country at the junction of the Niles. He is to pay for his fault ten times over then, she cried, in revolt against the disproportion. And the fault was his father's, and mine too, more than his own, for neither of us understood. She blamed herself for the gift of that fourth feather. She leaned upon the stone balustrade, with her eyes shut, wondering whether harry would outlive this night whether he was still alive to outlive it the very coolness of the stones on which her hands pressed became the bitterest of reproaches something can now be done durrance was coming from the window of the drawing-room and spoke as he came to warn her of his approach he was and is my friend i cannot leave him there i shall write to-night to calder money will not be spared he is my friend ethne you will see from suakin or from assouan something will be done he put all the help to be offered to the credit of his own friendship ethne was not to believe that he imagined she had any further interest in harry feversham she turned to him suddenly almost interrupting him major castleton is dead she said castleton he exclaimed there was a castleton in feversham's regiment is that the man yes he is dead he was killed at Tamai. you are sure quite sure he was within the square of the second brigade on the edge of the great gully when osmond digma's men sprang out of the earth and broke through i was in that square too i saw castleton killed i am glad said ethne she spoke quite simply and distinctly the first feather had been brought back by captain willoughby it was just possible that colonel trench might bring back the second harry feversham had succeeded once under great difficulties in the face of great peril the peril was greater now the difficulties more arduous to overcome that she clearly understood but she took the one success as an augury that another might follow it feversham would have laid his plans with care he had money wherewith to carry them out and besides she was a woman of strong faith but she was relieved to know that the cinder of the third feather could never be approached moreover she hated him and there was an end of the matter durrance was startled he was a soldier of a type not so rare as the maker of war stories wished their readers to believe hector of troy was his ancestor he was neither hysterical in his language nor vindictive in his acts. He was not an elderly schoolboy with a taste for loud talk, but a quiet man who did his work without noise, who could be stern when occasion needed, and of an unflinching severity, but whose nature was gentle and compassionate. And this barbaric utterance of Ethne Eustace he did not understand. You disliked Major Castleton so much? he exclaimed i never knew him yet you are glad that he is dead i am quite glad said ethne stubbornly she made another slip when she spoke thus of major castleton and durance did not pass it by unnoticed he remembered it and thought it over in his gun room at gesson's it added something to the explanation which he was building up of harry feversham's disgrace and disappearance the story was gradually becoming clear to his sharpened wits captain willoughby's visit and the token he had brought had given him the clue a white feather could mean nothing but an accusation of cowardice durrance could not remember that he had ever detected any signs of cowardice in harry feversham and the charge startled him perpetually into incredulity but the fact remained Something had happened on the night of the ball at Lennon House, and from that date Harry had been an outcast. Suppose that a white feather had been forwarded to Lennon House and had been opened in Ethne's presence, or more than one white feather, Ethne had come back from her long talk with Willoughby holding that white feather as though there was nothing so precious in all the world. So much Mrs. Adair had told him it followed then that the cowardice was atoned or in one particular atoned ethne's recapture of her youth pointed inevitably to that conclusion she treasured the feather because it was no longer a symbol of cowardice but a symbol of cowardice atoned but harry Feversham had not returned he still slunk in the world's byways Willoughby, then, was not the only man who had brought the accusation. There were others, two others. One of the two Durrance had long since identified. When Durrance had suggested that Harry might be taken to Omdurman, Ethne had at once replied, Colonel Trench is in Abdurman." She needed no explanation of Harry's disappearance from Wadi Hafa into the southern Sudan. It was deliberate he had gone out to be captured, to be taken to Abdurman. Moreover, Ethne had spoken of the untrustworthiness of the go-between, and there again had helped Durrance in his conjectures. There was some obligation upon Feathersham to come to Trench's help. Suppose that Feathersham had laid his plans of rescue, and had ventured out into the desert that he might be his own go-between. It followed that a second feather had been sent to Ramelton, and that Trench had sent it. Tonight, Durrance was able to join Major Castleton to Trench and Willoughby. Ethne's satisfaction at the death of a man whom she did not know could mean but the one thing. There would be the same obligation resting upon Feathersham with regard to Major Castleton if he lived. It seemed likely that a third feather had come to Lennon House, and that Major Castleton had sent it. Durant pondered over the solution of the problem, and more and more he found it plausible. There was one man who could have told him the truth, and who had refused to tell it, who would no doubt still refuse to tell it, but that one man's help Durrance intended to enlist and to this end he must come with a story pat upon his lips and no request for information. Yes, he said, I think that after my next visit to London I can pay a visit to Lieutenant Stutch. End of chapter 21